Thank you for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. Our mission is to create space for all people, to experience the compassionate love of the Father, and to discover the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today, recorded live inside the Wilson Performing Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I I heard this quote, not heard it, I read it, this quote earlier this week that said, A sermon without Jesus is an awful thing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. A sermon without Jesus is an awful thing. Well, you don't have to worry about that this morning because Jesus will be in this sermon. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it reminds us of your love for us. The way that it teaches us how to live for you. And the encouragement that it gives us as we walk away from this place this morning. May our eyes be opened to new things and our ears be opened to hear new things. A new revelation of, about you and who you are and your character and what it is you want to do in and through us today. Let us not waste this time this morning. Let it be fruitful. Let it be encouraging. Let it be challenging to us today. Thank you for each individual life represented here today. Their story, their their struggles, their successes, all the things that make them who they are. We're grateful that they are here, but more than that, Lord, we're grateful that you are here with us. Your presence is here because we've gathered in your name and you said that you would be among us if we did that. And so here we are. Pull up a chair, Lord, (laughs) next to us and teach us whatever it is that you you know that we need to know today. (laughs) Teach us that. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 10. Okay, so I just... I was just thinking back, like right before the triumphal entry, what was Jesus doing? What was going on? Who were the people he was interacting with? And the first group of people in Mark chapter 10, verse 13, is children. He was with the children. He wanted to be around them. He wanted them to come to him. He wanted to bless them. We see in this passage of Scripture, it says in verse 13, People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, it says, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them, And he blessed them. I have always loved little kids. My sister, when I was growing up, I was a high school kid. She had a daycare. And so I had access to plenty of little kids. (laughs) And I would come out to my sister's daycare. And as soon as I would walk in the door, Brady! And they'd all run. And I'd sit on the floor with them. And I would interact with them. And I would talk with them. And At that time, I didn't know enough about the Lord to bless them. 
but I knew that just being in their life and encouraging them and hugging them and just laughing with them was something positive, something, something that was good. I remember in 2005 when we went to Peru for the first time, we did this ministry down in the city, this main area in the city of uh, Trujillo. And while we were there, they found out the, the American pastor was there. And, and I don't know if it was just an American or just pastors in general. These women felt like there was something unique and special about putting their kids in my arms and letting me pray for them and bless them. Like they, they just thought that was significant. And man, what an honor. Think about a complete stranger. I'm from another country, speaking a completely different language, and they come to me and they hand me their child. Talk about trust. You know, for one, that I didn't actually drop their child, and then I would actually pray a prayer. They, they just felt like this is a person we can trust, and they, I would hold these children in my arms, and we would pray. Uh, I'd obviously pray in English, and my interpreter would pray in Spanish, and we'd bless these little children. You know, it's almost like the parents thought, there's really no hope for me, but maybe if you could do something with my child, they'll be okay. And I talked about this a few weeks ago where, you know, I, just, I know so many people in my, in my life that they would say that their parents made sure they got to church, their grandparents would take them to church, but the parents didn't go with them. It was almost like, well, at least save my kids, and at least I've done something right as a parent. And there was this unique opportunity to bless them and then then just kids here in this church just one of the things that I love to do and you maybe you'll see me do this I'll get down on my my knees and I'll I'll give them a hug I'll get on their level and I do that before one because I love them and another thing is because I want to bless them that there's something specific about that there's something purposeful about touching in an appropriate way this precious little one and blessing them and letting them know that they matter that they're important it's the reason why we have them come up here that they matter that they're a part of the church. They're not just, you know, like to be quiet and be pushed off to the side. They are a part of the body of Christ. And so <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I was at dance class. I took Jessa, our, our two-year-old granddaughter, to dance class here in town. And this one particular little boy's name was Bo. Bo was just infatuated with me. I don't know if it was my glasses or my goatee or my bald head or all the above. I don't know what it was, but he just would not leave me alone. Like, he just kept coming up to me and going like this. And I was, like, looking at the mom. I was like, is it okay? And she's just like, I guess. You know, so I picked him up, and he was just looking at me, and he put his head on my shoulder and just hug, you know. And then he put his head on my shoulder, and then he'd get down and go play for a while. Then he would come back and do it again. And so I saw him two weeks later. And he's like, oh, and he came running right to me. And I'm thinking, here's this lady. She has no idea who I am. And why is this weird guy, like, holding my child, hugging on him? And I kept trying, I'm a pastor, it's okay, you know, like, you know. Of course, in the crazy world we live in today, I don't know how good, if that's really a good thing or not either. But, but I'm just like, I just think about the fact that it takes faith and trust, right? Children are dependent upon an adult to, to care for them, to bless them. And just think about um, you as a child of God. You are dependent upon the Father. He wants us to come to Him like that, with this naive sense of trust, saying, just pick me up and hold me in your arms. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. 
I want you to remember that late at night when the baby won't be quiet. <laughs> and crying and you're like, oh, please. They're a heritage from the Lord, I know, a blessing. <laughs> Just remember that. <laughs> Let's move on. So he comes in contact with children. Then he comes in contact with this rich young ruler. It says, as he was setting out on a journey, on a, journey a man ran up to him, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not be defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to read it out of Mark, because I love this, this right here where it says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. And he said to him, which I think is another good thing, because Jesus loved him, Jesus told him the truth. He spoke the truth to him. He kind of got at the core of what was really going on inside this person. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this, by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. I think it's interesting that Jesus shared commandments, but he only shared part of them. He only shared the second greatest commandment. You know what the two greatest commandments are, right? Love God, love others. He only addressed the, the love others piece in the beginning. He said, Here's some, like, here's some requirements, here's some things, some you know, low-level fruit here. <laughs> do not murder, commit adultery, do not steal, don't bear false witness. Okay, yeah, 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 I got those. But then Jesus then gets to the heart of the matter when he deals with the first and the greatest commandment. And he's really asking this young man, what do you love more than anything else on earth? And Jesus addressed the issue. He addressed this man's greatest love. And it was his possessions. It was the thing that he valued the most. And here's the deal. If Jesus is only just a good teacher, we will never fully surrender to him. Because listen, there's a lot of good teachers in the world. And they're being born to the, on this day. Another good teacher is probably being born right now. Lots of good teachers, but there is only one Savior. And there's only one that you're really, truly willing to surrender everything to. And Jesus was just getting to the root of the issue. Like, what are you holding on to that you think is more valuable than me? And then he addresses it a little bit later on where he says, Jesus looked around, it says, and he, he said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at these words. Again, Jesus said to them, I love this. Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with a man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, look, since we have left everything to follow you and, and followed you, Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields 
And then listen to this. With persecutions, nobody wants to sign up for that one, right? We, all, we can stand in line for all these other things, but we don't want to stand in line for that. And eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. For one, in this economy, in following Jesus, there are no losers. There are no losers. So what about this eye of the needle thing? Now maybe you've heard this preached before, taught on before. And so there's this thought that some scholars believe that what it was talking about was this small gate um, into the city of Jerusalem that you could get into um, off, you know, off hours, when the big gates weren't open, when they closed the big gates for security, there was a smaller gate. And in order for a camel to get through that gate, it would have to have gotten on its knees, taken all the things off the camel, and they would have been able to shove it through this gate. But there are some say that those gates never existed. That was just a, um, an example that he was trying to give. Maybe it's hyperbole, right? So a figure of speech that exaggerates for emphasis. Like, have you heard the, fra- the scripture that talks about um, don't be concerned about the, the speck in your brother's eye, but at first take the plank out of your own eye. Okay, is he really talking about a big chunk of wood in your eye? No, now that would be rather obvious, right? But no, he's just using that as an example and to exaggerate a, a truth or a point. It's not impossible for rich people to be saved, right? It's not impossible. I know plenty of people who are very well off or very generous to the kingdom of God, and they do a lot of incredible work, and they love Jesus with everything they have. So it's not impossible for the rich to be saved, but it is possible for us to put our hope in earthly wealth and find our security in that, right? It's very possible. In that culture, it was believed that if you were well off, you were blessed by God. So think about that. If you had a lot of possessions and you were well off, those people obviously must be first. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the people who think they're first, they're actually going to be last. And the people who think they have nothing to offer, those are the people who are going to be first. But we're not saved by our own merit anyway. No matter what it is that we have, we can't buy our way into heaven. And we can't put our trust in possessions to get us there, Right? but we're saved by a gift of grace, by his mercy, and by putting our faith and trust in the very one who can provide salvation for us. It's the gospel truth. In uh, Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, it says, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with food that I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? I don't need the Lord. I got plenty. Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of God. I think there's something that we can learn about being content no matter where we are. Right? If we have a lot, being content in that and learning how we can then use that to serve other people, or if we don't have anything, say, Lord, man, at least I don't have all these other worries with all these other possessions, but I know that I have you. And I can rest in that too and learn this, the secret of contentment. I think it's interesting about this uh, the story about this young man that was asked to, to sell his possessions and to give things away. And then Jesus talking about, like, you will be blessed and rewarded. Like, there's nothing you can't give up that Jesus is going to give you back, and it's going to be better. 
Maybe you've been asked to give something up, to set something else aside so that you can focus on something that is, that is more beneficial to you. Let me tell you this story about these, uh, these four young men who lived in northern Iraq. And so on Monday, I had co- or Tuesday, I think it was, I had coffee with a gentleman who works for this business, or it's a ministry, it's called Aggrandize. And his, their whole business is to set up sustainable businesses and farms and different, play, different things that will cause people to be able to sustain their life in, in very poor parts of the world, in very unreached places in the world where the gospel cannot go. But a, but a, a business can go there to help people grow food, though, because everyone wants their people to eat, no matter whether you believe that God is who he is or not. You know, people want their people to eat. And so they use this as a tool to get into unreached places. He first learned about this, this ministry when he was 21 years old. And when this guy, Justin, when he was 21 years old, he goes to northern Iraq with four other people from different parts of the, of the world. And he, he learns about the Islamic people. He learns the Kurdish language so that he can communicate with them. And he and, he and the people that were there led four young men to Christ. Four Muslim men to Christ. One of them was the son of the mosque leader in their town. And so it is almost a certain sentence to death, especially if you're the son of the mosque leader. And so they all come to faith in Christ, and then they ask Justin, what is the next thing we must do? And he said, well, you, you, must be, you need to be baptized. And they're like, yes, Justin, we want to be baptized. And so Justin said, well, uh, well it's, it's really simple. We just need to get some water. <laughs> and then we'll, you know, it's like the burial of, of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus. You know, it's, and they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. You need to teach us about baptism because we want to know everything there is to know about baptism. Because listen to this, and this is the most powerful point this guy made. He said, this young man said, Baptism might be the only thing we get to do for Jesus here on earth. Let me just challenge you, ladies and gentlemen. When, have you, when was the last time you lived your life for Jesus with this thought? This might be the last thing I get to do for him, and I want to do it well. Isn't that powerful? It's convicting to me like here are this here's this young man they're willing to die for jesus and the only thing they might ever get to do for him is to go through the waters of baptism and they're willing to take that risk now that was several years ago they're still following jesus they're leading people to christ in their country because they were willing to take the next step of obedience they were willing to sell everything and to come follow jesus and that's really what it is. The heart of the matter is, is Jesus worth giving up whatever it is he's asking me to give up? It's a powerful, powerful thought. Let's move on. Jesus predicts his death. It's the third time it says that he, he tells his followers what's going to happen. But in this particular example, he gets very detailed and he, and he explains to them what it is that's going to happen. He says, They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. 
Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. So we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. But then I love this last and. <laughs> and he will rise after three days. I want to encourage you, if never before, this Easter season, dwell on the details of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the best way to do that is to open up and read about it in the Gospels. Look at the deep, dwell on what it was that Jesus did. And what it was that he went through. Get there as, 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 as much as you possibly can in your mind. And let it touch, touch your heart. The prophet Isaiah spoke about it 800 years before it happened. He said in Isaiah 53, it says, He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, his or the punishment for our peace was upon him, and it says we are healed by his wounds. I love these words in Second Corinthians, in chapter five, where Paul says, "He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God." Here's a thought that I that I had. I think maybe this is the first time I've I've really uh, dwelt on this particular thought. Sin separates us from God. It does. Like in the beginning, you'll see that, that people dwell with God in the garden. Sin caused separation. And from that time, we've been trying to get back to the Father ever since. And Jesus then provides a way for us to get back. Jesus. On the cross, endured that separation. He embodied the separation between man and God. I don't know that we realize how desperate we are separated from God. I don't think we really know. I think we're blinded by it here on this side of heaven or hell. I don't think we really know what separation from God is really like. Now, in our lives, we might have some scenarios and situations and stories and testimonies of what it was like when we weren't walking with God. I can tell you a few of my own. And it wasn't pretty. It was pretty ugly, really. <laughs> but I don't know that we really know what that separation really looks like from a heavenly perspective, but Jesus does. Jesus endured it on the cross. My Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? We don't know what that looks like, but Jesus does. He did it for us. Isn't that powerful? Dwell on that. Dwell on that. And then, as we finish up our time together, in the next few stories here, one is Jesus' disciples coming to him and said, do whatever it is we ask you to do for us. What a way to approach Jesus, right? 
Contrast that with the way the blind beggar later on in this passage of Scripture, the way he approaches Jesus. This isn't incredible. Like the disciples are like, Jesus, here's what it is we want you to do for us. And the blind beggar says, Jesus, please have mercy on me. Those two, those two contrasts are pretty powerful. I love it where um, Jesus tells his followers, this is like, you know, he's having this conversation with them. He's getting ready to go into Jerusalem. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And he tells them in verse 43, he says, But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He gives us a short little little glimpse of what it is to live in this kingdom. To follow Jesus is to serve and not be served. To give your life as a ransom so that others might find Jesus as a result of your sacrifice. And then this blind man that Jesus comes in contact with, he, he says this phrase, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to keep quiet. Isn't, that, isn't it kind of, it's like the, like the beginning where they were telling the kids to be quiet. Don't let the little kids come. Don't bother him. And here's this guy coming to Jesus like a child. Threw off everything, goes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have you ever heard the, um, anyone talk about the, the Jesus prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And you know what? Maybe that's the only thing we can get out sometimes when we're going through it. That's the only thing we can pray. And that's a very powerful thing to speak out loud. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. We're acknowledging who He is, and then we say, have mercy on me, a sinner, because then we're acknowledging who we are. It's powerful. And in some form, this blind man says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, called him over, and said, he asked him this question. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Duh. He's blind. What do you think he's going to say? His infirmity, at least the physical infirmity, was obvious, right? He was blind. He could not see. And that's the very thing he asked Jesus for. He says, make me, make me be able to see. Give me my sight. And Jesus healed him because of his faith. And he believed that Jesus really was the only one that could do that for him. So the worship team will come. They're going to sing. Brady, I'll have you come on up. And so my question for you today is the question that comes from the Scripture, the question that comes from Jesus to you, what do you want me to do for you? What's the answer to that question for you, personally? What do you want Jesus to do for you? And then here's maybe something that you're going to hear. <laughs> 
is what it is that Jesus wants you to do for him. What do you think he's asking you to do for him? Is it to come to him like a child? Is it to rid yourself of the things that are getting in the way of you fully surrendering your life to him? Is it for you to come to, to serve and not to be served, to come and to give, to whatever it is that he's speaking about you today, what do you want him to do for you today? And then as you walk away from this place, what is he asking you to do for him? And so during the song, we'll give you opportunity to come and pray if you want to pray. Pray right where you're at. Maybe you're close to someone and you say, hey, would you pray for me? I found that more people are willing to get prayer right where you're at than come forward for prayer. So if you need prayer, ask somebody to pray for you right where you're at. Brady's up here. I'll be up here. If you need prayer to come forward, we welcome you to do that. Thanks again for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or need to talk to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.